2: Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast, brought to you by Dynasty Owner. I am your host, John McEchnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. Uh, the sports world is uh, a buzz now. Baseball seemingly may have figured their stuff out. We might actually get a season there, and you know we're getting closer and closer uh, to potential NFL training camps. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, getting started here, so football and draft season uh, really heating up here. So exciting times overall, I would say, Mario.
1: Potentially. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I'm a Brewers fan, the fan of the correct team uh, for baseball. So I, I hope they can have a season, and I hope that the Brewers can claim that you know the destiny that they're owed uh, that is that has been held away from them unduly all this time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I guess I should just you know hope they get all in one place successfully before, before I get to that phase of the hoping.
2: I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on the Brewers that, that, uh, that game seven, 2018 or whatever, the NLCS,
1: uh, that was tough. Um, I'm they're the on, correct team. I'm just, I just want to reiterate, like there's a morally correct choice to make as far as a team to be a fan of. And it's the Brewers.
2: They're, they're a likable bunch. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, my baseball team, uh, not nearly as, Uh, talented it's run by a complete moron um, or the owner is so uh, they have a nice stadium at least uh, the Orioles do so that at least there's that Um, I don't know if there will be anyone in there but they've played games in front of nobody and Camden Yards plenty of times including literally zero uh, back in 2015 so we'll see how that goes Um, anyway going on to football uh, we've got a lot to chew on today, Mario. You just got done with that 35-round NFFC draft that uh, we we kind of teased last week. You were through the early stages of that one, and I I envied your uh, doubling up on on getting AJ Brown and Calvin Ridley. I uh, kind of copied that in in a best ball that we're do in a different uh, best ball league that we're doing. Um, Not nearly 35 uh, rounds. That's just a a regular 20. And then we are also going to get into uh, this FSGA futures and props bet that I was able to uh, take part in yesterday over on SiriusXM. That was a lot of fun. That was total Wild Wild West stuff. Uh, You're basically doing a snake draft with a budget. Um, and, you're, and you're spending the budget on particular betting lines. Uh, I'll get more into the details uh, when we dive into that a little bit later. But Mario, why don't you go ahead and give us a primer here on your 35-round league. How did it go? Um, how do you feel about your team uh, now, that, now that that thing is wrapped up finally?
1: Well, it's a pretty interesting format, especially someone who, who, you know, researches and writes about the things that I do because so much of my brain uh, you know, it was just kind of like an emptiness and like, well, among that emptiness that or like that sparseness is little details that are like, uh, whatever Olamide Zacchaeus caught 230 passes in his last 39 games at Virginia, things like that, that I can't normally use. And in this format, it's like, I, all of a sudden I'm like, see, I knew I was keeping this around for a reason. Like I, I knew there was some good idea that this was all leading toward. And uh, I guess it was like this team that I drafted where um, in this format, it's 35 rounds. So that's precisely one and a half times as big as the defense included, like best ball 10 sort of format. Um, This includes defenses and team kickers. So it's it's not quite just one and a half times bigger. It's I don't know, maybe one and a third or something like that when adjusting for the for the need to draft the team kicker slots. But you still go way deeper into the the bench at all of quarterback, running back, and receiver. So it's a little bit different also because it's six points per passing touchdown. So I thought that going into it, like my main strategy that I wanted to keep in mind was uh, trying to s- secure what I think are structural advantages that that are uh, dictated by that 35-round structure and the six-point-per-passing touchdown scoring. And the first was that I wanted to get three unquestioned starters at quarterback and ideally decent ones. And I, I went into that also keeping in mind, or at least I was reasoning anyway, that six points per passing touchdown kind of uh, reduces that relative... Uh, loophole of the the rushing production for a quarterback because it's like six points for uh, rushing touchdown for a quarterback is worth more when a passing touchdown for a quarterback is only four, you know? Right. So um, I was a little bit more biased toward what I thought of as like passing quarterbacks, um, things like that. So I uh, went into that with trying to get that because I thought, you know, it's a lot easier to get some numbers out of that Olamide Zacchaeus in the uh, 27th or 30th round or whatever, then it is, uh, I don't know, like some guy, somebody in this draft took Chad Henney in the 40th uh, the 34th uh, 35th round. So it's like, I don't want to be in that position in this. league. No. I don't want to draft Chad Henny Cause that's like, I might as well just does it auto does pick this league, with a placeholder.
2: Does this league go 17 weeks? Um, I'm not sure. I, I feel like maybe that's what and... he would be playing for. If, if, if You know, maybe he thinks chief, chiefs, <laughs> yeah. chiefs wrap up that sweet, sweet number one seed in like week 15 and we get two weeks of Chad Henney at the end.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I'm sorry. It's like even as far as the handcuff logic there, it's like. The Chiefs' offense isn't good because it's the Chiefs' offense. Putting Chad Henney there doesn't make it the Chiefs' offense anymore, you know. So oh, wholeheartedly um, disagree. That's just crazy. <laughs> Mahomes <laughs> is a system quarterback. At least break even. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's something like that that I kept in mind going into it. And then the other thing was um, I wanted to get three each of team kicker and team defense because in a 12-team league, a 32 based on a 32-team NFL. Uh not everybody can have three defenses or three kickers. I gotta so. press
2: you on the kicker thing real quick. Yeah. Uh so it was kind of a one of my like favorite like B stor- B plot lines of the twenty nineteen NFL season was that the the Titans were like in like October, they were like, you know what? We don't believe in field goals anymore.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I screwed up taking the Titans, oh, okay. I guess, because okay. that's, that's what I took. But it was like, I, I don't know. I but remember their, looking, their was like,
2: kicker was money in college. Wasn't it Greg Joseph? Like, I think he was pretty prolific at, at FAU. So m- maybe like uh, Rabel has kind trust of, issues. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think they might walk it back a little bit just because uh, – I don't know. Vrabel's a weird guy and I can see him latching on to a different superstition with, you know, no real reasons hopping between them one at a time. But, uh, yeah, in hindsight, I would change that to, I don't know, I guess Miami or something or Mm -hmm. Buffalo. Um, But, yeah, I I think if my team doesn't win, I'll I'll be like really – disappointed if it, if it was about the the tennessee kicker there but yeah good <laughs> point that's 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 not the right pick and, and they they did not score many points uh last year
2: yeah they um what what was it they they attempted a grand total of 18 field goal attempts i don't know how many of them were taken in the second half of the season and they made eight overall and they had t- oh they probably had some some uh some like scar tissue with field goals getting blocked because they did have a couple field goals blocked and and two out of 18 is a ridiculously high percentage for an nfl team to to be trotting that out there so maybe they went back to the drawing board maybe they uh you know threw their uh special teams coordinator to the wolves or something but i I would imagine it, it can't be quite as old school this year i would hope
1: yeah it's not even really like old school it's kind of just insane and yeah you're right though like the trauma of just feeling like an entire unit of your special teams is just busted in season and you got other things to worry about and instead of thinking that you know on on monday like how can we fix the special teams it's it's sometimes just easier to pretend that those special teams aren't there and go do other stuff instead yeah
2: and they, they did those that other stuff uh, pretty well tennessee had a had an amazing uh, run last year one that i really did not uh, see coming and apparently that the ravens didn't either in the second round of the playoffs um all right so let, let's uh let's move off of kicker discussion i know i know, it, <laughs> I know that's a, a, that was planned to be a big part of today's show um all right, so let's get into uh, some some players whose stocks fell a little bit differently that, than you had been seeing, that and, and also that you were expecting uh, going into this, and you know, in in this type of format, uh, two guys, two of our personal favorites here on the show, uh, Micol Hardman and Darius Slayton. Both of them, um, you know, for for various reasons, like I I can see the Micol one because the volume is just so you really need to be viewing him through rose-colored glasses to sell yourself on the volume there even though volume might not even necessarily need to be the argument like say Miko ends up in your starting lineup only four or five times next year like those times that he cracks your lineup it's because he scored 20 25 points and you know had like two long touchdowns off of four or five targets that that type of thing um so i think that 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 makes him appealing for for this type of format but apparently not because he slipped all the way down to the end of the 11th
1: yeah, he was actually selected by Vlad Sedler, who is a friend of uh, the the site, the show, uh, probably probably pretty much everyone. Um, so yeah, he that was a, that was a good pick by him, and I would have made a pick like that if my team hadn't been in kind of just a different phase of its development. Like I was, I th- in that round took a quarterback because it was I thought going to be the last chance that I'd have to get a third definite starter. So I took Tannehill there. But uh, in in my more ideal sort of scenario, I'm taking Hardman there, and uh, you know I've I've got Mahomes earlier, something like that. But uh, I didn't take him for that reason, and I would have preferred somebody less. Uh, less threatening than than Vlad to have gotten him at the 11th round. But it's 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 too late for him to go like like he shouldn't be falling that far. And uh, similarly, Darius Slayton, who fell into the late 12th round, shouldn't have fallen as far as they did. So um, players going ahead of me, were were players like um, Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb, the two, of course, m- most anticipated rookies of the draft. And I don't know how you do that. Like, I don't understand uh, like C.D. Lamb has some pretty directly comparable concerns to, to Meikle, only we don't have any reason to believe that he'll, you know, we, we don't have reason to believe that Lamb will be as good as Hardman has already given us reason to believe that he is. And then Judy, it's like, you know, Denver, the the, the Drew Locke thing is, is not at all uh, reassured. Like there, there's a lot that can go wrong with that. So guys like that should not go two rounds ahead of guys like Hardman and Slayton who have already shown that they're good. And part of it is the context of this type of tournament – like this type of fantasy game too. It's a tournament kind of thing and it's got to be like that usual you know, NFFC kind of thing where it's like the winners of the leagues go into a playoff at the end of the year uh, for some bigger prize thing. So if you want to – if you really want to aim for high in that one, then you need players who have the kind of upper range theoretical outcomes that they – that Hardman and Slayton do, which is to say really fast guys who – Get thrown at uh, downfield and show the ability to produce after the catch because it's like it's in that yards after the catch. It's in that uh, air yardage as a as a route runner. Where you you get the stuff that that leads to actual potential like like high range potential. So like neither of those things contribute to the floor, which is why you wouldn't want to maybe value a guy like Hardman as much if it were, you know, not best ball. And if it were uh, a a situation where you more so just kind of wanted to like finish in the top half, something like that. Yeah. in settings like that, Mecole doesn't offer you as much. But basically. Mikul shouldn't fall that far um, for kind of similar logic is why I took A.J. Brown in the third round here. And th- don't get me wrong. I, I'm totally open to the suggestion that this actually wasn't the right pick because uh, I didn't feel strongly about it at the time. I just kind of knew I probably should take a receiver here. And when I was thinking about that uh, absolute highest range outcome, I was choosing between A.J. Brown, uh, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, Amari Cooper. Any of them, I think, would have been fine picks, uh, first of all. But I went, I went with Brown because I thought, you know, it's – yeah, it's not likely to get me the middle range outcomes as much. And I might get kind of goose-egged by A.J. Brown a lot more than these other guys. However and, – and not to like think about along morbid lines, but not necessarily even from injury. If Derrick Henry just kind of doesn't have as good of a season and if the Tennessee offense uh, – sorry, defense regresses – then that could also bring about the conditions where A.J. Brown goes nuts because it's like, yes, the the Titans will throw the ball 27 times if they can get away with it. But what if they don't get away with it and not getting away with it would come in the form of the defense, you know, giving up points and and them needing to respond with with passes instead of rush attempts. So uh, on the other hand, if if Henry does miss time. This isn't the sort of situation where uh, Darrington Evans and Dalen Dawkins are going to just pick up the Derrick Henry workload. Like the A.J. Brown is getting most of that. There so, yeah, so it's that kind of logic that that gets a little more attention in, in a format like this uh, as opposed to like a you know cash game type contest. And, yeah, so I, I
2: definitely see, see what you mean there. And, yeah, when it comes to Brown, uh, especially in ball, you, you don't need to sell me on, on his upside like yeah i think you and i are are definitely in lockstep uh there and understandably this is this is a you know going into the season with the fully healthy derrick henry this is a lower passing volume uh offense it's but you can just also argue that aj brown might push for like the highest target share in the league period so it it might offset it a little bit or at least i hope so um so last week we, we mentioned how, you, how how quarterback is just different in this landscape and how you wanted to uh, get that buttoned up before we got into the later stages. You wanted to have one of the true top 32 uh, or three of the um, top 32 quarterbacks in the NFL so you didn't have to go that Chad Henney route. So you ended up going Dak in the fourth. You got Jimmy Garoppolo in the ninth, uh, and you got Ryan Tannehill to pair up uh, with A.J. Brown. A couple rounds later but i want to look at how some of the other teams uh handled the the quarterback uh ecosystem in this particular draft uh we have one guy one guy the team picking uh in the seventh or picking out of the seventh spot uh just went three quarterbacks in a row uh starting with baker mayfield in in the ninth uh and then joe burrow in the tenth teddy bridgewater in the 11th so kind of just cornering himself into getting those those middle-tier uh, type of quarterbacks, uh, although Baker and, and Burrow, I think you could argue, have some upside to maybe crack into the, the top 12 of quarterbacks for this year. So what did you make of that strategy or team team picking out of the eleven spot, Drew Locke, Kirk Cousins, Sam Darnold? Same idea, just a, a few rounds uh, later. Any, any like, big observations from those type of strategies?
1: Well, in this league, you can, I think... See just different teams taking different assumptions of, of, about how uh, how the market works and how, how the market works with this specific league format and the, the scoring of six points per passing touchdowns really does matter I think um, because even if passing touchdowns are in ready abundance and you can get one late that doesn't uh, you still need to like rank high in the category like you're not guaranteed to have that category uh you, you can't just like acknowledge that the ceiling is higher and then assume that the floor is too it's just it's just not necessarily true and you you don't want to or at least one of my goals was like I don't want to spend 5 roster spots on quarterbacks I want to get three that I don't have to worry about after I get them so even though you might think it might go with the, the general um you know recent paradigm of of ass- assuming punt on quarterbacks take quarterbacks late it's easy to get quarterbacks late it's less likely to be true in scoring like this. A and B. I'm not sure it's generally true anymore, or at least not as generally true as it used to be. Because specifically because of of guys like Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes, and I, I think absolutely Dak Prescott and Kyler Murray are threatening to go into a similar category where they just more reliably than these these other quarterbacks kind of push for that you know 4,800 yards, 35 touchdowns, stuff like that. And in, in Dak's case, and I guess Mahomes' case too, is like they run a little bit. Murray obviously runs more than both of them. So there, there's, there's a unique possibility of upside, I think with players like that. And, and in Dak's case, it's like with those receivers, with Jarwin, with that line, there's nothing, there's no reason to, to err toward pessimism here. And and with Murray, it's like the cliff Kingsbury offense gives in the Deandre Hopkins trade. It's like, there's actual reasons to expect Murray and Prescott to, to push for that tier. And if they do, then there's a new sort of have and have-nots dynamic than there used to be because getting into the, the the category of those first five quarterbacks isn't as easily done with you know the the rotation quarterbacks in, in the eighth ninth tenth round whatever. But mm-hmm. you can see in this draft there's people like me and Team uh, Twelve Rhodes don't know who that person is, but uh, I I thought they had the right approach because they took Lamar Jackson at the turn of the first and the second round. They took Matt Ryan in the turn of the sixth and the seventh. Then they got Goff at the ninth and the 10th, whereas you got a lot of other teams where they were waiting and waiting for, you know, that one team's case. They took Mayfield, Burrow, Bridgewater might work okay. Um, I just think that even if those work according to their theories, it's just not going to keep up with some of the the highest quarterback scores in this league. And uh, the worst case, uh, the worst way to handle this is like the teams who I think uh, had to end up spending more of their roster, like the four or five roster spots, for players who are near certainly going to do nothing for them, or to whatever extent they will do anything, it won't be enough to compete. So, yeah, I I don't want to end up in a league like this, spending a fifth quarterback spot on uh, I don't Andy know. Let Dalton. me just <laughs> Andy Dalton, uh, somebody like Robert Griffin, I think makes sense, just because you know if God forbid Lamar Jackson got hurt, Griffin would you know run a lot, do something. But, yeah, Chad Henney, Jacoby Brissett, I don't know, Kyle Allen. No, thank you. Don't want to spend uh, roster spots on guys like that. I'd rather spend it on anybody else. You you can get a guy like David Moore on your roster instead of that, you know, and that that could be, you know, two 20-point games at receiver for all you know. Uh, So there's there's little things like that that add up over the course of 35 rounds and and chasing – bad quarterbacks is a real risk to any uh, attempt to be cheap at the position.
2: Absolutely. So I I think that I think you went about it, right? I think a couple of these other teams out here um, approached it, right? Yeah, I think three, three or four is the right number of quarterbacks to get it. And certainly you don't want to be uh, dumpster diving um, in the, you know, with the event of them potentially having to occupy one of your top two uh, quarterback spots, anything uh, like that. Um, let's get on to another guy. Um, sh- shifting gears over to running back, someone that we had, uh, you know, we pointed out recently. I think shortly after the Sony Michelle news, was like, man, D- Damian Harris, or I think even before the the Michelle surgery news, it was like Harris seems like a, a guy that, you know, given the injury history of the guys in front of him on this team, plus the overall team context, where. The Patriots are turning it over to Jarrett Stidham. Maybe they run a little bit more. That you know that Belichick, with with that offensive line too, um, can dial up some pretty devastating rushing attacks. He's done so in the past. So uh, Harris, at that time, was kind of that late round flyer, a guy to to you know maybe your last skill position guy, that sort of thing. Now uh, the the helium season
1: has started for him he went uh where in the 11th in this one the the 12th 12th. round uh looks like the 7th pick in the 12th round and this is this is one of the more interesting players this offseason because i think as much as that sony michelle foot surgery made more obvious the ways it could go right for harris I don't think you needed that surgery to see the way it could work with Harris ahead of time. And so he was someone that I was taking in the 20th round of best ball drafts. Now, if, if the price is going to be anything like this, there's, there's no way I have any interest in buying him because even like, you can't be drafting him. What? Like within two rounds of where you'd take Michelle, if he was healthy, you know, like you can't as much as I think he really could be better than Michelle. There isn't enough probability that Michelle misses time to, to make up, the, to the point where you should where you would be having him going anywhere near Mich- where michelle would if he was just totally healthy so that's that's just weird generally to let him to, to take him in the 12th round when michelle uh i can't even see in this this labyrinth of the draft board where he went but it presumably was not much higher and to me harris all along was only the kind of guy who it, it was like a justifiable low expense because uh, michelle had the injury history yes um but like uh, you could Part part of the thing with Harris all along was that he was priced where he was in the 20th round Specifically because people were believing something that wasn't true and anytime you have that being the case It's something that I that I want to look at and see if there's a way I could kind of short, you know The market reasoning and in his case the, The reason he was in the 20th round was not because people had so much respect for whatever Sony Michelle Rex Burkhead Brandon Bolden it was because they thought oh Damian Harris is clearly bad because he didn't play last year. And you can think he's bad and you can have your reason for not picking him. But that one detail is actually meaningless. And if you assume something based on it, then you're just liable to be wrong about everything else in the equation, too. Um, And more specifically, James White was a healthy scratch his whole rookie year with the Patriots. And last year, the way that the Belichick conceptualizes, uh, special teams reps and the way he has very like sub position roles within the running back category. Like Sony, Michelle Rex Burkhead, James white, they all play different positions. And when Harris was merely the best one after Michelle, as far as the Michelle role goes, That wasn't enough to make him better at the white one than white or the Burkhead one than Burkhead. So because there was no fourth role, he just by default didn't play. But it wasn't because he was bad or at least like if what we know at this point is not sufficient to to declare that the reason why. And it's pretty hard to, to believe that that's the reason why because he specifically was more productive at Alabama ahead of Josh Jacobs who he's exactly one year older then. They have, they have the same birthday. He's one year older. He outproduced him at Alabama. So if, if Jacobs is good enough to do what he did last year, then does anyone really honestly want to put money down on the idea that Harris can't do something more than what Michelle did last year? And that's – again, that's not even – taking into the possibility that michelle's just not playing so um with that said harris can only be eligible for the michelle type tasks like he's not going or i would guess anyway he won't do any of the the burkhead stuff as far as pass catching because burkhead lines up at receiver a lot and he does a lot of uh kind of like the leftover pass catching stuff that white doesn't do Hmm. so he might not be he might not have a theoretical ceiling that's very high because the best case might simply be what michelle already was but as long as you don't you know, misunderstand any of those things and, and, and over, uh, spend on, on some misunderstanding within those things, then Harris is still someone worth buying. But generally you would want to take him, I think more in like the 16th, 17th round. Uh, and if, if you got to pay more than that right now, maybe just give it a few weeks because people will get bored picking that guy. If there's not more bad news about Michelle and if, the, if, the, if there's good news about Michelle, all of a sudden Harris is back in the 20th again, you know?
2: Right. Exactly. So yeah, the, The market for him scorching hot right now. Maybe just hold off a minute, see if things cool down. Um, I got to make one more general observation about this draft board before we we talk about uh, your endgame strategy. We obviously love rookies and younger players, players who haven't uh, broken out just yet. Because we, you know, when you are the guy that profits the most off of the breakout season, when when his price is at the lowest, like that's the that's the best way of going about it. But uh, one team's approach, even for me, uh, seems a tad risky there in terms of the rookies. Just in the first half of his draft, he's got Keyshawn Vaughn um, starting in the seventh. We got. Justin Jefferson in the twelfth, Darrington Evans in the thirteenth. Although that's a handcuff to his first round pick, Derrick Henry, Anthony McFarland in the fourteenth, and also Michael Pittman uh, in the sixteenth. That's a lot of rookies to to have in you in your front half of the draft. So th- those are guys who ostensibly are you're going to be relying on to be contributing
1: early. Yeah, and I don't know what to make of that consideration with the virus. Like maybe. Maybe it really is a good idea to, to, if all else is equal, defer to the veteran player or, or like the player who's not changing teams, something like that. I I don't know how, how to how to figure out how true that is, and I don't know because I as much as disorganized football can can lead toward bad. Outcome of whatever kind, it's like maybe in some cases the defenses will just get worse, and there'll be stupid instances of of offensive players outperforming their own baselines because the defenses aren't organized. I don't know. It's it's hard for me to assume much on that, so I guess I try not to think about it too much. But uh, generally speaking, if if I was getting a team that was, you know, in 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 my sort of base. Flex included starting lineup if i'm getting near halfway rookies that's probably one of those things where i'd maybe want to pause and rewind a bit so i have um zach moss and he's a rookie that's the first one that i took i think in the 11th uh Sorry, the late 10th round might as well be 11th. So that's, that's in the kind of range. And I think he's good enough of a prospect that I have no anxiety about that. Like I'll, I'll let that one rip every single time. I think he belongs more in like the ninth kind of round range actually. So I'll, I'll buy that one in bulk if I can. But yeah, I'm not finding myself chasing these, these rookie receivers. I'm not chasing these rookie running backs a whole lot. And, uh, I like Jonathan Taylor a lot and I still believe in his upside, but I need even him to be more in like that third, fourth round turn kind of range than in in the top 25 so i'm not getting a whole lot of rookies for whatever that's worth and i I don't think that's usually the case
2: yeah i'm i'm kind of the same way i've only done a couple of drafts here so so not as many as you but um as far as uh the the best ball that you and i are doing uh right now i have moss and i have dobbins but other than that i've mostly steered clear of the rookies at least within those first 10 or so rounds i'm a justin jefferson guy everyone knows that so i got him a little bit later on but um yeah
1: he's one of those exceptions because they just need to give him the reps you know it's like yeah if even if he's behind on the the learning curve it's like what are you going to do play tajay sharp i doubt it
2: (laughs) right so so with with that in mind it's like i'll i'll approach that every time but yeah i think in general like i would i will be lighter on rookies this year than i am in years past usually i'm pretty pretty aggressive i don't know if i've ever gone you know like almost half of my uh top rounds uh going going after them especially when this year's class like it it was good at receiver obviously extremely extremely deep there but uh not not a ton in terms of tight end um the Quarterbacks, I don't know how much other than Joe Burrow are really viable draft wise. I mean, we'll see what what comes of Tua uh, in terms of redraft for for this coming season. But running back, it thins out uh, relatively quickly. Um, so yeah, it just it's a it's an interesting class. It's not a bad one necessarily as far as skill position guys go. But um, with the you know off field storyline <clears throat> baked in, it just makes me a little bit more averse to, uh, towards them um, as well. Before we get over into uh, your late-round uh, end game strategy here. We got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. The best fantasy football leagues are those where every owner constantly pays attention, responds to trade offers, changes their lineup, and are always looking to improve their team. There is no off-season for these owners. That's who you're challenging yourself against in Dynasty Owner, other elite fantasy football players who are committed to competing dynasty owner is the only fantasy football platform with a patent game using actual nfl salaries and contracts combine this with a salary cap elite trading options advanced team rosters and devoted elite owners to compete against and you're faced with the same decisions nfl owners and general managers must make if you're ready to take on the best then don't miss out join the waitlist at dynastyowner.com that's dynastyowner.com all right mario so obviously you're uh like you were talking about with your brain earlier and your olamide zaccheus knowledge and and <laughs> and remembering what scotty miller ran at his pro day at bowling green uh Who could that, forget that's see exactly so so really it's it's everyone else that is wrong um this this type of format i think really really uh is geared toward towards your uh football knowledge and, and skill set here so what was your approach once we got you know out sort of outside of where uh best balls usually end at round
1: 20 well um so i didn't get to go just kind of wild on the prospects at every time that i did because i as the foremost rule i had to respect kind of the, the structural things I mentioned before about the three quarterbacks, the three kickers, three defenses, because um, it's easy to end up just on the wrong side of a positional run. And I, I kind of tried to account for that first before going after every single pet uh, project of mine. But I guess I guess what so starting around, um, I don't know, I guess we could say like the 19th round is when we, we might as well call it the 19th round where I took Steven Sims, who's uh, just, you know, the most important player. In the NFL, probably this year, that's right. and I, I want to get him on every team if I can. Uh, so at least at that price, I do because like nineteenth round, that's so many really really bad amazing. players. People are just hitting t- total useless trash before this, and th- then I get uh, steven Sims at the nineteenth. Like that's 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 a good time to that's that's like a it's, it's a good omen for the rest of the, the later rounds. And um, I got Trent Taylor at the twenty second. And I guess it's worth mentioning real quickly. I know we talked about it a little bit before, but. Uh, Brandon Ayuk and Jalen Hurd, I thought it was just going to be Ayuk, but Brian, uh, Brandon Ayuk and Jalen Hurd are both getting this post Debo injury bump, and Trent Taylor just is not. In fact, I think people might have forgotten about him even more because a handful of people just learned about Hurd for the first time and are, are like uh, smitten, smitten with him. <laughs> <laughs> so, excuse me. Um, I was glad to get Taylor there. That was kind of my plan the whole time when I got Jimmy Garoppolo is like, I I really want to get Trent Taylor now. It's easy to forget, but coming out of training camp or uh, I guess early midpoint training camp last year, it was either Barrows or Miyako. One of those guys was saying, if I had to guess, I'd think that Taylor might lead the the team in receptions this year. And then he broke his foot with the same injury that Debo has this year. And they screwed up the handling of it and he had setbacks and he, he ended up missing the whole year. But it's like why is he not simply valued in in the ADP right now as if that quote as if as if that report had sorry, I'm phrasing it differently, people are acting like that report point blank does not exist. It's like it, it's to to treat him like the preseason favorite to have uh, you know sixty plus catches on that team would be to leave him something like I don't know, the sixteenth round in in the ADP now. But uh, he he mostly just doesn't exist to people. And that they uh, took Ayuk in this draft in the 11th round ahead of Mikel. By the way, uh, that's way too early in my opinion. I don't know where Heard went, but he went somewhere else. Um, I will say I like oh Kendrick Bourne too. Kendrick Bourne. Um, oh no, he did not go. I took him uh, or I took Taylor be- right before Bourne went. Um, but you see, people take Bourne over Taylor also, and that's wrong. Because I
2: uh, remember he scored touchdowns last year.
1: Yeah. And Bourne did play the slot last year, but because Trent Taylor was hurt, like if Bourne, if, T- if Taylor's healthy, then Bourne's just going to be a swing backup between the slot and one of the outside positions. Uh, he's not that good. Taylor is is not capable of doing many things, but the one thing he does playing out of the slot, we have reason to believe he's actually pretty good at it because he was a really dominant player at Louisiana Tech. So. I think it's pretty clear that Taylor is the ideal target in these 49ers receivers, and yet you're seeing at least Ayuk and often heard and and sometimes born also go ahead of him, which, um, you know, I I, I think – I think they're wrong to let that happen, and I'm, I'm glad to get Taylor there. So um, everyone knows who Darren Fells and Ido Smith are. They're uh, just kind of hanging around at this point. So even if you weren't uh, reading the ridiculous uh, prospect trivia that people like me and John do, you, you could maybe make those picks and spot them for – Fells is the red zone specialist for Watson. It's like I'll, I'll just kind of take that you know, general category at a certain point in the 23rd round – it's definitely late enough for that. And Ido, I can't believe he fell to me this far. Actually, the twenty fifth round, um, I had been anxious about taking him earlier than that. For, for like starting with the Trent Taylor pick, I was like, oh my god, I got, I might want to take Ido Smith instead. And he just kept falling. So, uh, but he two years ago split work with Coleman, you know.
2: Right, and you know, uh, I don't know if that was necessarily the best usage of the of the backfield reps for for Atlanta one way or the other. But at the same time, it's. For Smith to fall that far, while also the the noise is always so loud in terms of like how much of like a cor, a like corpse like weekend at Bernie's types of, types yeah. of running back Todd Gurley is, you would think yeah. that you would think that getting his backup would be something a little bit more appealing to the, those that are mo, most aggressively writing off Gurley.
1: Yeah, definitely. I still think there's a pretty high risk of somebody like Jay Ajayi or Lamar Miller. Uh, I guess even Devonte Freeman potentially signing with the Falcons but a not necessarily like and more than just not necessarily because the Falcons have a totally mangled uh cap situation and they can't really afford anybody like I I don't you know if they those can first afford rounders. Yeah, I don't know I don't know if they can afford the minimum salary for Lamar Miller's uh level of tenure like I I don't know who <laughs> they can even pay um, so they might not do that. They, and they be, might just kind of still like Edo Smith. Like, they spent a fourth-round pick on him. They had him splitting snaps with Coleman two years ago. Uh, they presumably would have given him plenty of work last year if he hadn't missed the whole season pretty much. So I think Edo Smith is going to – he's got to be considered the favorite to be the third down back on that team either way. And given how weak the, the slot receiver projection is and, think, and since I also think Hayden Hurst won't draw targets at the rate that Austin Hooper did, like – ito smith is actually a really good candidate to just by if nothing else done than dumb luck you know just just by hanging around just picking up usage because there's so much slack in that offense especially if Gurley gets hurt obviously
2: all right i'm i'm sold and you know look out next time that we're in in a draft together come come 17th 18th round it's gonna be the ito off Uh yeah definitely
1: (laughs) um but yeah i think uh so i took travis homer in the 25th after that i had him specifically in mind as a as a I guess it's still a stack, but even though it doesn't feel quite the same, uh, it's more a covering up for the Carlos Hyde pick that I had in the 15th round where I'm, I'm just speculating on Carson's durability. Basically, I assume things are pretty much a loss, a lost cause, at least for this year with Rashad Penny. So getting Homer, who I actually think is better than Hyde, uh, it's like I, I kind of have the best of both worlds. It's like the, the veteran deference will probably give Hyde the first second third chances in the event of a Carson injury but uh if Hyde sucks like I think he does <laughs> then I think Homer will be the one to like oust him and I think I'll just you know come out clean either way hopefully um but yeah other than that I Hasty Michael Hastie and Jason Huntley are two guys you might want to keep in mind Huntley's uh, interesting yeah, so I actually meant to take him before to Michael Hasty, but I screwed something up uh, with, my, with my draft queue. Luckily, I got Huntley around the turn. Uh, I took them at the uh, 28th and 29th round. Uh, Hasty's a guy who's undrafted out of Baylor, where he was... Uh, he's always a rotational back, so he, he doesn't have like a big workload background. And he had some fumble issues, too, but he's one of those guys who's pretty explosive. Like he's, he's also the lowest and most densely built out of the players at running back the 49ers currently have, so... He might be kind of the Brita replacement, um, or at least in the 28th round, I'm more than willing to to gamble on it. Um, but Jason Huntley should have a higher floor than Hasty. Like He should just make the team for I have sure. An interesting,
2: I have an interesting stat on Jason Huntley. There are only, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight players in all of FBS last year that had at least... Thousand rushing yards and at least forty targets on top of it, and when you when you expand it to uh, fifty targets, uh, he makes that list, and only three other guys do: Kenny Gainwell out, out of Memphis, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you might have heard of him, out of LSU, and Eno Benjamin of Arizona State. So he was you know that to be that active both in the rushing and the passing game and he was also he had way less carries um than the other guys on that list he had almost like a hundred less than some of those other guys but still cracked a thousand yards on 154 carries so that's good for 7.08 yards per carry and in addition to him catching like 80 percent of his targets so skill there's skill there
1: yeah i really like him and i'm pretty low on like I, i will with a straight face tell you that i think that Huntley is better than Kerry on Johnson. That's something I actually believe. So the, the, the Lions don't believe that, they never will. But I think that a guy as explosive as Huntley and who, by the way, they've, they've been mentioning he might get snaps at receiver and, and given that they just moved uh, whatever Agnew to wide receiver out of, out of what I would take desperation to find more snaps behind Amendola, it's like there's there's a real chance that Huntley, um, you know, still operates as the clear third running back on that team and yet provides more fantasy points or, you know, close enough to what on Johnson provides that people are more or less shocked by it. Um, but it's because he might get, you know, in PPR anyway, I think that that's possible because if he is getting snaps at receiver – then that means they just kind of like him, and they're putting him out there. And based on what he did at New Mexico State, we only have reason to think he'll be pretty good. Like he's a way better, you pro- know. No offense, John, but I, th- I think he's safely a better prospect than Ty Johnson. Who I think another he like another team should basically have Ty Johnson because I think Huntley made him kind of obsolete on this team. But yeah, Huntley. Um, I don't have an I don't have a comparison in mind. Is he uh, like a poor man's Duke Johnson? Maybe because it, it that fits in the framework of of kind of what you're outlining there. As, as far as how you apply him to the offense generally, but he's quite a bit faster than Duke and smaller too, so it's hard to say. But um, anyway, he, he also had five kick return touchdowns at New Mexico State, so he's, he's a 4'4 flat kind of runner, 40-inch vertical, 130 broad jump. He's that kind of athlete, and uh, he was just always really productive. In, in uh, New Mexico State. So, yeah, it, in this this late, a fifth-round pick at running back should not be on the board. Like all the other crap running backs got picked clean a long time ago. I don't even know why Huntley was on the board. But uh, so, yeah, I took him there. And, I yeah, as far as like a running back eight or a running back nine or whatever I got him at, that's pretty much close to my ideal. I think. There, yeah, he
2: so, yeah, I think we, we, we laid out a pretty good case. If you didn't know about Jason Huntley before, uh, you certainly do now. And there's another guy on, on another team, another rookie, who I think has similar intrigue, similar uh, maybe application. I, I don't think that he's quite as versatile as Huntley, but Raymond Calais uh, to Tampa Bay is really, really interesting to me. So he went in the 30th round of this one he, out of uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, the Raging Cajuns had, like, the best— non-triple option rushing attack in all of college football last year and i mean that like all of college football um he wasn't the main guy elijah mitchell and and trey Regis um kind of get more carries but really really explosive player and he he showed out at the combine as well and i'm still not totally sold on on that tampa bay backfield picture whether it is jones or vaughn so
1: i mean well not just that john john sorry uh somebody in this draft took daria gumbo wally like five rounds before that even so yeah it's He's cued I' the banana
2: slipping on a banana peel.
1: Yeah, I don't need to figure out exactly what I think about this situation, but in the meantime I can at least safely say don't take a gumba wallet over Calais. like don't don't necessarily get fixed into taking either of them but if 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 you're thinking about taking a gumba wallet, just take Calais instead. Yes. If nothing else, remember
2: that when it comes to the the Tampa Bay backfield post. Uh, Vaughn and, 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 Rojo. Um, all right. So let's get on to, uh, your last, uh, handful of picks here. Um, so you went, yes. went heavy at receiver here to, to back pad the roster.
1: Yeah. I figured that, you know, there's, there's more receiver snaps than at running back. So I figured it makes sense to close out the final four rounds, something like that. Just taking these receivers that no one else had room to pick, uh, who I know they're not going to give me much, but I think they might give me enough and, or at least more importantly, more than whatever the running back and quarterback and tight end equivalents are on the draft board at this point, because it's like, I don't need the last pick that I took in this draft is Ted Ginn. I don't expect him to even have like 450 yards this year, but I know he's the only veteran with any speed at Well, a standout level of speed at receiver for the bears who are trying to specifically replace a fast guy, Taylor Gabriel. And uh, it's like, I think Javon Wims is pretty much bad. I think uh, Darnell Mooney is encouraging he's an interesting prospect in the fifth round out of Tulane, but it's just especially like a guy like that with a situation being what it is. I, I feel like I'm I, I feel like I should err toward pessimism in a case like Darnell Mooney, because it's like he's a good player. But it's like, I don't, he, he might not have training camp to convince anyone that. Like, the coaches might just think, oh, Ted Ginn, we know who you are. You're a rookie. We don't know who you are. Yeah. Um, something what like I'll, that.
2: What I'll say about Mims versus Ginn is that, like, you if you throw it in his area code, like his catch radius, like it, it trumps the, the Ginn or the uh, Darnell Mooney. But that, I mean, that's really the, the, the best thing you can say about him is that he's big. I mean, I'm, I of course, uh, loved his 2017 season at, at Georgia, but that obviously doesn't mean in, a whole lot in 2020 NFL, but, uh, he is long
1: lanky and has leaping ability. So, I mean, that. Uh, I just think they might want the decoy if nothing else, this, okay. especially because if, if they feel like, uh, we don't have enough reps to get, uh, whatever this, this third receiver ready, just put Ginn out there. He's fast. You know, I can imagine stuff like that happening more often because of uh, the situation being what it is, um, but um, yeah, in any case, it's like in the last round, like that. If I if I can get a receiver who's just going to give me a shot at like 400 snaps this year, that's all I need right there. Because sure. they're my wide receiver nine and ten and eleven and twelve. Like I'm, if they do anything, it's just kind of you know added on top. It's it's uh, it's it's not really something that I if if I need these guys to do something, my team sucks anyway. <laughs> so uh, it's not it's it's like I'm looking for just that speed downfield ability to give me a couple pop plays that, you know, round out the box score a couple times with with some luck. Um, But yeah, uh, Ted Ginn, Scott Miller in Tampa Bay, Khalif Raymond in Tennessee. I went with similar reasoning for all of them. It's just like Raymond to give I had a little bit of a boost in my consideration because I was I was thinking, you know, if Brown is off the field, Raymond's their new deep threat. So, you know, if Brown is off the field, that's bad for me. I'd rather retain any benefit that results from brown not being on the field and i I think picking raymond mostly did that but uh it's like high average depth of target a lot of speed to project yardage after the catch if they get an opening and that way it's like you know maybe they don't get much work but they're they're more likely to do something with 150 snaps than uh some some slow you know slot receiver or something like that because if nothing else they might get like that 60 yard touchdown you know and that's 13 points
2: yeah I'm, i'm well aware of that uh with khalif raymond um Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, any any guys that you had? I mean, it's it's almost impossible to have FOMO in a thirty-five round draft. But were there any guys that, that you felt like you got sniped on a little bit um, in the end? Yeah,
1: game? not too m- badly. Like I, I actually am really happy with how this draft turned out. Even good. even with the the egg on my face for picking the Tennessee kicker. Um, sure. But in hindsight, what I took the, so I took the Ravens as the first defense at the early thirteenth round. And I didn't feel great about it at the time, but it was it was a couple things that pushed me that way. So one is like the Ravens are my number one defense, and I had reason to believe multiple defenses would be off the board by my next pick. So as far as that goes, I didn't think I was reaching too much. However, I only made that pick of Baltimore at the 13.3 because I thought Chris Herndon would make it around to my next pick, but he didn't. So in hindsight, I would rather, I think, have – uh, Chris Herndon and like the Buffalo defense than what I picked, which was the Ravens defense and Irv Smith. But I'm also about that. I, I think there's a way for things to go quite well for Irv Smith this year, actually. And the Ravens defense, I, I think it's just, you know, totally loaded. So, um, yeah. And it, and it, sorry. I accidentally did the thing where I highlight the whole draft board and now I can't see any of the picks. Um, <laughs> I'm blind. Yeah, I am. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah. Otherwise, I mean, I guess to just kind of like wrap this thing up, it's like, I, I really do think that ending with the receivers is a good idea. And I went cheap at tight end in this draft, but that had more to do with, uh, that crossroads early on where I was like, I either need to pick Dak Prescott or prepare to kind of go the cheap route at quarterback. And I, I, I chose to pay up at quarterback instead. Um, going with someone like Mark Andrews, there would have been total reasonable. And I, that was who I was really thinking about. Um, but otherwise I tried to, to set it up. So it's like, I would account for those three, three, three rule, uh, get those wide receivers with my last four picks. Um, but that said the toward the end there, there were a couple guys in addition to Huntley and hasty that I'm actually kind of hopeful for. And that's, I'm serious about this old, the is a thing. Like I think he's actually good. Go. And what's funny, what's funny is like, he's pretty well built and he's a pretty good athlete, even though he's uh, you know, low pedigree as an undrafted guy. We love like, Virginia he's a fi- guys. Well, he's like 5'8", 190. That's, that's pretty well built. That's not like 5'8", 170, you know? So he's built like a legit running back. He actually took a ton of jet sweeps and things like that in college. Um, and he's a pretty good athlete. Like, he ran a sub four, five. And he's also young. Like, I think he, he only turned 22 right before last year. So uh, Russell Gage, not very good. Olamide Zacchaeus, I took in the, the, the uh, 30th round. Part of why I like this team so much is because I have Ridley and Edo Smith and Olamide Zaccheaus. Like I think having those guys on a team like in a, in a contest like this is pretty nice, especially at the price that I got. And then the other one is uh, Mo Cox, who uh, he's basically being ignored as the tight as the third tight end in Indianapolis. But I think he projects better than Trey Burton. I actually wrote an article about uh, a, a few tight end situations, including the Colts one. And I think that for those Eric Ebron touchdown plays like those weren't screen passes, you know, those were kind of just jump balls that were in the red zone that Ebron went up and caught. And as far as that specific kind of play goes, Mo Ali Cox projects much better than Trey Burton. And I like Burton enough, but I, I just think that those Ebron touchdown plays are more likely to go to Ali Cox uh, than like almost anybody else. And if not, I think this is kind of like a hack bit, but if, if, if anyone wants to go this route, uh you'll you'll get a positive reception i'm sure Uh, the Colts signed philip rivers at quarterback this offseason and he used to be really good when antonio gates was his tight end and antonio gates played basketball once and so did mo alley cox so there you go
2: you're not a conspiracy theory guy you're a connect the dots guy
1: ignore everything i said before it's just the part that he's a former basketball player who plays tight end and philip rivers is his quarterback like that's the kind of stuff you should make your decisions based off of
2: sew it up brother that's that's easy money then um all right let's uh let's move on here let's get uh, into the uh, the props and futures draft th- that I took part in on Wednesday—a lot of fun. It was the first of this of its kind, I- I'm pretty sure, because uh, you know, with everything going on, the FSGA couldn't hold their their usual conference, um, so they they kind of brainstormed this up, and I was happy and, and lucky to be invited to it. It's it's very unique. Um, essentially, um, it's a snake draft with 14 teams. Uh, 12 rounds you get an imaginary ten thousand dollar bankroll your minimum wager is 250 uh, max is 1750 Um, you have to be able to to make your minimum wager on on each of your picks Um, and we we were going from a a full board of like westgate um, win totals um, and and division winners super bowl uh, mvp uh defensive player your rookie defensive player defensive rookie of the year um, coach of the year Uh, coach of the year we'll we'll get into that uh, in a minute because those are some kind of fun long shot ones that I I might throw some like actual money on uh, once I get the chance to to do it Um, but yeah the idea of of having a budget and a snake draft going at the same time uh, really interesting Um, so I was picking out of the 10th spot I'll get to my pick in a minute, but I want to just kind of talk about one of the big general takeaways um, from this one because I didn't really have a hard and fast strategy going into this, but two other teams had very, very obvious ones. And and if if you didn't notice it by like the third round, uh, then you just can't really understand patterns, I suppose. Um, but uh, Dan Harris of Fantasy Pros led things off. Uh, he had the first pick. He took the the Saints to win the Super Bowl at a thousand dollars to pay out eleven 1, hundred. Uh, so ten, yeah, ten to one odds on the Saints. Um, and then he continued to go on on kind of big long shot. Uh, high payoff, high risk, high reward type of bets. Kevin Stefanski is coach of the year. Titans uh, to win the Super Bowl at 60 to 1. Uh, Frank Reich, uh, coach of the year, 20 to 1. So it was basically all um, co- like si- single outcome type of, type of uh, picks for him. So uh, he could end up with a total goose egg, but if like two or three of those props hit, um, he could outdo the bankroll of, of anyone else that, that played it really, really safe.
1: Yeah, I have to kind of rec- recuse myself on that general subject because I feel like among other things, like that has to be one of my worst ones is keeping track of abstract, like theoretically exponential scenarios and stuff. Because I, I just look at those those props and I I kind of – I go through thinking, yeah, sure, I bet I could see that or hmm, maybe not that one. But uh, yeah, like you said, that's not even really the point with, with this particular strategy of, of – Getting like swinging for certain, you know, like moon shots and uh, on the reasoning that, you know, one or a couple being shrewd hits would, would kind of carry the, the, the whole project for it. But I guess I can see individually also some, some of the, the reasons you might, you know, filter them on this basis. Like I wouldn't personally pick the Saints, but uh, I, I like that Titans one, I guess, or at least, you know, if, if you're following the reasoning that – simple already established offenses have an advantage because they don't have as much time to practice and get timing and you know more more ambitious things down pat then maybe the titans having this caveman offense are like uniquely suited to win this year who knows
2: yeah no so i, I like that one in and at 60 to 1 uh, that that's that could be huge obviously um so that's the route and rake Rake's a good coach you know can't go can't go wrong with that one i agree i agree so um yeah so there there was a lot to like about about the way that he did it obviously there, there's no safety net there but there's also no payoff to finishing second in this thing so um might, might as well go for it um but some people took a, a more of like a cash game approach and and you know they'll, they'll build up their bankroll incrementally but uh they're capped out at at, at theoretically winning 20k um, as opposed to uh Dan who if every, if everything were to were to hit for him which impossible because some of them are uh contradictory uh it would be like two twenty five thousand. So um yeah, quite quite different in terms of the way they went about it, but uh Ian Allen of Fantasy Football Index, he went with all uh and Mike Clay re- really liked this. Uh he was an analyst uh as we are doing the show and just kind of talking about general strategies how he would go about it and he obviously does the projections for ESPN so uh, he has very strong opinions on each of these props laid out there but Ian went um, after pretty much all the rookie receivers and just went after their unders one way or the other whether it was touchdowns um, or receiving yards and I thought that was an interesting way of going about it I think that you know he, he could end up with a fairly high hit rate but I don't really see that uh, winning? Because I don't think there's any single one of those, even if you stack them all together, um, that's going to add up to be quite enough to win this.
1: Yeah. Uh, not to be, you know, reductive or whatever, but I kind of, I, I don't just agree with that strategy. I'm kind of wondering why there's anything else that anyone is doing. Like I, I, maybe the answer is it's like, there's these scenarios, if, if there's, you know, disturbances from COVID or just weird logistical snags that, that make the season go strangely, it's like maybe those things make these bets void. And, and maybe that's maybe that's why it doesn't make sense to just work on that assumption. But if these bets are recognized, I mean, how do you even make a projection for a season like this? Like how do you – you you're, these, these look to me like 16 game-based over-unders. And yeah. I'm not really – so is it just adjusted – Pro rate or whatever if it's like a 12 game season instead or there, there
2: wasn't a whole lot of uh, doom and gloom that uh, Baked into into the draft itself. It, right. it was more just under the assumption that everything is cool and we're gonna have a 16-game season go nuts
1: Yeah, I mean if if that it doesn't void the bet or something yeah, taking the under on absolutely everything because Uh, You you can believe there will still be a season and also believe that it won't look anything like any other season before or after this. And that's, I think, what we have every reason for. So so, uh, that's what I would bet in in according uh, with, I suppose.
2: Yeah, that, it definitely it, it makes a lot of sense. Again, it doesn't have the highest ceiling, but uh, the floor is really, really uh, looking good for that. And I agreed with most of his uh, pessimism on, on most of these guys, uh, Justin Jefferson notwithstanding. Um, so for for me, or one uh, one other uh, trend uh, that I noticed uh, before getting in, into my picks, which were uh, admittedly, and this may shock you, dear listener, uh, scatterbrained uh, to say the least. But um, what one other uh, route that people went were, were like stacking so um, CBS Sportsline uh, they they led things off for them Max Bet Seahawks making the playoffs and then their, their next time up uh, Seahawks winning the NFC West at, at seven to two and I'm sure that they tried to get uh, Seahawks Super Bowl but but got poached uh, that that type of thing um, so I, I think the idea of if you believe in a team making the playoffs then backing it up with having them win the division or, or vice versa I think that that was a, a good way of, of combining like decent odds and good payoffs
1: yeah i guess that logically adds up i guess their only mistake was the team that they chose <laughs> uh well speaking just of, kidding guys uh speaking no I'm not. Of,
2: no no dead serious um one of those teams that, that uh, we all noticed was getting some serious love in this one was people firing on the Broncos to do, you know, one thing or the other. And in terms of the positive range of outcomes, whether it was long shot win the AFC or, or more uh, reasonable uh, making the playoffs or, or winning the, the West and it not. I don't
1: think that's particularly reasonable. But Did you see discussion about that? Was that just because of some reason or another? No, everyone just kind of like blindly said. We all agree we like the Broncos here.
2: Yeah, it's like Broncos are getting a lot of hype. No one like mentioned specifics as to why. Huh. I think it, it's almost like unspoken that Drew Locke is going to be a thing. In it's team. because
1: uh, Jerry Judy can do that ankle thing. Yeah, obviously in, in a park. Um, <laughs> no one can stop them though. Mm-mm so i whatever
2: whatever it was yeah the broncos were getting a fair bit of love in this one um i i went with uh what one route of picking against a certain team and uh, a player by extension i i put down um a thousand on the bucks missing the playoffs and then an under on tom brady throwing uh 29 and a half
1: touchdowns. Sports, it's good again yeah <laughs> no i think uh yeah that's Because everything's so strange and, like, surreal and arbitrary feeling to me, I think, like, first of all, I probably wouldn't go with, like, a retirement strategy-type betting volume this year. And then the things that I would bet, it's like, yeah, there'd be a little bit of a logical consistency in in the broader pattern, but mostly, let me see if I can turn $15 on the idea of Tom Brady, I don't know, getting – wally pipped for blaine gabbert in week seven like that'd be the funniest like that would that would be such a funny outcome and to get like a little bit of money for it would would just drive me insane with glee oh my god
2: that would be that would be he probably won't get wally
1: pipped but like the guy's 43 i wouldn't be surprised if he kind of just rolls an ankle real bad you know
2: after um well not well with his tomato free uh pro avocado lifestyle um the, his ankles are impossible to be raised. yeah
1: your low ph won't save you this time tom <laughs> that only works up until like 41 or something even this long you've just been lucky there's there's more hell to pay my friend
2: i mean he he, the finish for his for his numbers last year like after their bye week where he was averaging less than six yards per attempt uh pretty grim and you can only explain away explain explain it away through the supporting cast uh to a certain extent um so Yeah, I I was happy to to bet on the under 30 touchdowns uh, for him. And then one of my one of my long shots or I'll go into two just quick and and then we'll we'll wrap things up. Uh, And this made me happy when you were talking about your your fantasy team uh, and just it kind of implies some optimism for this Falcons offense. So I I threw down, uh, I think it's 40 to one on Matt Ryan winning the MVP. I think he could you know even potentially lead the league in passing yards i know it's a really really tough division that that did counter to what i was just saying uh get tougher with, with tom brady uh joining the, the buccaneers uh and and everything else uh the saints are still obviously really good they're they're the first pick to to win the super bowl in, the, in this entire draft that type of thing but uh, matt ryan i, I thought the, the the odds were good enough you know with one of my last picks to just throw throw a dart there uh see what happens because he's played at that Level before, and I still think that he is operating at a very high level. And I think that a uh, Calvin Ridley breakout, while sustaining Julio Jones and and all that other good stuff, uh, Falcons make it to the playoffs. I think that there's at least you know a puncher's chance that that Ryan ha- is in the conversation. I know it's tough to say that now that there's Mahomes and Lamar Jackson out there. And then uh, rounding it out, Brian Flores as coach of the year. What
1: do you? Think? That actually, that actually sounds. Ugh, I mean. It's sneaky. Not to, not to be bleak, but, like, they need to get all the teams out of Florida that are in Florida and do some kind of, like, bubble season thing out in Idaho. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried about Florida stuff, but if they somehow let this season happen and, and they actually handle it competently and effectively – then Flores is exactly the right kind of pick for something like that because he has the, the low bar from starting at a at a bad point where with with how the the Dolphins were last year. But he a like he showed some signs of actual improvement. They did beat they, they did they did land that first dagger into the Patriots that that allowed the Titans to finish them uh, the next time out. Them. Yes. Yeah, and so like that's they're getting better over the course of the year even though they still sucked uh so, so to be clear that's a good thing because it's like they didn't they didn't get better just because they added a ringer or something it's yeah, like they're they not actually like a
2: trendy moved. team it's not like the like the position that, like the browns were in a year ago where they missed the playoffs but like the expectations right. were still sky high
1: and then this offseason they did add a ton of new talent so mm-hmm. especially on defense so they don't need to do as much as his competition does to win and he probably has uh, you know especially if he's actually any good he has a lot to, to work with to to you know get a safe margin from those other competitors
2: yeah so my thinking was if the dolphins are at least in the hunt into december and you know and and like you said that the retooling of the defense they have one of the best cornerback duos uh in the league now uh the run game it can't be any worse right one of the best
1: trios it's like they got howard and igbina and uh byron jones now yes they got a third they got a third corner Mm -hmm. who's a first round pick now
2: that's that's pretty sick so uh love that and i think flores can can get the most out of that obviously with with his defensive background and then Man, like, what if Tua takes over at the end of September and like the Dolphins just become the darling? Then and
1: it, and Flores just looks even more like a genius. Well, John. Then, then it's a wrap. That's a weak division, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I think I think Sam Darnold is good. I don't think he's good enough to, to carry the Jets above the, the weight that Gase is okay. around all of them. And uh, it's like, I think the Bills are definitely my favorite in that division, and I think their defense is going to be really sick this year. But when you have a quarterback who's as erratic as a passer as Josh Allen, there's more ways that things can go wrong there. I, I don't think the Patriots are going to be very good at all. So uh, that division, it's like, going eight and eight or so, or whatever the equivalent is in the scenario we're looking at, like getting in the wild card round would be, I think almost a clincher for Flores. Uh, like I, I think he would be considered the heavy, heavy favorite to win that award if they were uh, closing in on a wild card berth. And that, that division just kind of looks low scoring and brutish and bleak or whatever that short, whatever that quote was. It, look, it looks like a, looks like a just kind of a, uh, a dark age of a division.
2: Yeah, it does. So, uh, yeah, that wasn't, there was enough for me to, uh, to fire on Flores there. And, uh, if that ends up coming to fruition, then I really like my chances in this, uh, competition, but, uh, that's going to wrap things up for this week's edition of the Roto-Wire NFL podcast. Also, little quick uh, news: Mario and I will be back on the SiriusXM show starting uh, July third. So get f- get uh, start looking forward uh, to that. And also. We got the college football projections that Mario and I worked on. Those are up on on the site. Those are live. Uh, Look at them. uh, Roast me if you so like. Actually, please don't. I'm very, very sensitive. Um, But those are up on the website as well, so check those out. But otherwise, thanks again for listening to the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Dynasty Owner.